Chapter Ten of A Lady's Captivity Among Chinese Pirates in the Chinese Seas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Lady's Captivity Among Chinese Pirates in the Chinese Seas, by Fanny Lovio, translated by Amelia Anne Blanford Edwards. Chapter Ten. Departure from China, the Malta, Singapore, Penang, the island of Ceylon, the Bentinck, Aden, in the Red Sea, the Isthmus of Suez, Cairo, the Nile, the Pyramids, Bulak, Alexandria, the Valletta, Malta, Marseille, end of a journey round the world. On the 11th of November, 1854, I was received on board the Malta, government mail packet. The vice-consul accompanied me on board, as if to assure me of his generous protection, up to the very last moment of my stay, and I parted from him with feelings of such regret as I shall not attempt to put into words. Should this narrative ever meet his eyes, may he here read the earnest expression of my gratitude. The line of route taken by the Indian mail packets is certainly the most desirable for passengers. From Hong Kong to Singapore is a journey of only seven days, and the steamer puts into port for 24 hours, which enables travelers to see something of the city. Singapore is chiefly inhabited by Chinese and Malays, and contains but few European families. From Singapore to Penang takes but three days more and here the steamer delays eight hours for the mails. These eight hours are, however, sufficient to enable a passer-by to judge of the infinite beauty of the place. It is verdant and luxuriant as a corner of paradise, and the most delicious fruits abound in every part. Eight days after this, we touched at Pointe de Galle, in the island of Ceylon, where all the passengers were put on shore. The luggage was then transferred to another steamer, and the Malta continued her journey to Bombay. The number of travellers by this route is seldom large. We were but thirty-two, and consisted of English, Portuguese, and French. We all breakfasted together at a cottage restaurateur's in the Jardin Canela, which is the public promenade of the place. Embarking towards evening on board the Bentinck, another steamer belonging to the same company, we started for Suez, and after ten days travelling, touched at Aden, for the purpose of taking in coals. It is a wretched spot, arid and desolate, and inhabited by a race of hideous and miserable human beings. Seven days on the Red Sea brought us to Suez, where I landed with real delight. We crossed the Isthmus in omnibuses, and our luggage was transported by a troop of camels. The camel drivers were half of them blind, or nearly blind, for their eyes, during the transit across the desert, are perpetually attacked by myriads of flies. Two refreshment stations have been established along this route, for the benefit of travellers journeying between Cairo and Suez. Cairo, as has been truly said many and many a time before, is a city taken from the pages of the Thousand and One Nights. I shall not attempt to describe it here, for it has been described well and often, 
and I have nothing new to tell. I spent three days there, dreaming and wondering, strolling through bazaars and marketplaces, and visiting all that is most curious and surprising in the city and its neighborhood. As for the pyramids, although I saw them from afar in my passage down the Nile, I cannot say that I experienced any special delight or enthusiasm at the sight. Cairo, and Cairo alone, usurped all my admiration, and, far as I have traveled and much as I have seen, I may truly assert that no spot I ever beheld could compare with it for novelty and magnificence. From Cairo we proceeded by steamer down the Nile to Bulak, and at Bulak took the railway to Alexandria. Excepting a glimpse of the distant pyramids and the sight of those quaint little mud-colored Egyptian villages which lie scattered along the banks of the great river, this journey afforded no objects of interest by the way. At Alexandria I remained three days, waiting the arrival of my luggage. This city, unlike Cairo, is neither picturesque nor splendid. The bazaars are dirty, the population is scanty, and, being chiefly inhabited by Europeans, the Oriental costume is but rarely seen. I visited the palace of the Viceroy, Pompey's Pillar, and Cleopatra's Needle, but my heart was full of France and home, and I cared little for either modern palaces or vestiges of a remote antiquity. How happy I was when I at length embarked on board the Valletta, and knew that in six days more I should tread French ground. On the fourth day we touched at Malta, but no one went on shore, and on the 26th of December, 1854, the Valletta cast anchor at Marseille. On the 30th I was in Paris, and read the following announcement in the columns of La Presse. Mademoiselle Fanny Loviot, who was taken prisoner not long since by pirates in the Chinese seas, has just returned to France in the Valletta via Marseille. Oh, the happiness of once more dwelling in the midst of those dear ones who had so often lamented me with tears and believed me lost forever. Oh, the delights of home, after the sufferings and dangers of a journey round the world. I went to seek my fortune, and found only misfortune. Still, with all their troubles, my weary wanderings had not been wholly profitless. I had beheld nature, bountiful and beautiful nature, under her most varied aspects, and if I had endured fatigue, privation, and even disease, I had at least lived that life of peril which hath its own peculiar charm for the imaginative and the young. I have never yet regretted my journey or its adventures. May the indulgent reader, who has followed me thus far in my narrative, as little regret the trouble of perusal. End of chapter 10 Recording by Karen.